you would like to go ahead and open your Bible up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's black Bibles hopefully around your seats or, or, or at the back desk as well. Um, if you'd like to have that in front of you, it'll be helpful for you. We're moving around a little bit. Um, so having that in front of you is going to be going to be really helpful. Well, we're continuing on in our series uh, called Belong, uh, what it looks like to belong to Jesus and his church. Last week, we thought about kind of the first step in that, faith and baptism. And then this week, we're thinking about uh, membership. Really, these three things, baptism, membership, Lord's Supper, all go together. And they really are some of the the key building blocks or key ways in which uh, we live as a church. They're one of the key building blocks, three key building blocks of the church. They're also three of the key ways in which we both experience and live out the gospel in our lives. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read from verses 12 to 26, and then we'll consider what these things would have for our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. Hear the word of the living God. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong in the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would be the body? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us in your word and that ultimately you reveal the good news of Jesus. Help us uh, in these moments to respond to your word humbly in repentance and faith and help us by your spirit to live out the things you call us to here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I wonder if uh, you were to meet someone in work or in school or on the street tomorrow and they were to ask you to describe your church to them, what would you say? Not, not define it so much, but describe it. My church is like, well, 1 Corinthians 12. If you haven't already picked it up, I'm sure you have. 1 Corinthians 12 describes the church as a human body. And it uses that image to communicate essential and beautiful truths about what the church is how we are to relate to one another within the church 
and the beauty of belonging to the church. The Apostle Paul uses that image to unpack, really, and teach us the beauty and the belonging of church membership. And in our world today, we often hear the word membership, and we maybe think of membership in a local gym or, or a sports club. Church membership is nothing like that, just so you know. And we'll see that. It's a biblical description of belonging to Christ's eternal people, the church. It's a membership like no other that this world affords. So if you're a Christian here this morning, then being a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, being a Christian necessitates active membership in a local church. It's the natural outworking of our union with Christ, which we thought about last week. It's how you use the gifts God's given you. It's where you give and receive honor and care in the ups and downs of life. As a church, 1 Corinthians 12 teaches us some really key important things about how we are to view and value one another if we aren't to be a divided church, but a united church. Maybe you aren't a Christian here this morning, you don't wear that label, or you're figuring that out. Let me just invite you to see how 1 Corinthians 12 teaches that no other community in this world can give you what the church gives you. No other community in the world can offer the kind of unity, diversity, honor, and care that the church does. If you aren't a Christian, you can join this community if you come to Christ. If you're already a Christian, then belonging to the body actively, the reality and beauty of church membership is our most fundamental and powerful form of evangelism to this time. Actively belonging to the church in membership is the most fundamental and the most powerful means by which we can display and declare Jesus to, to those who don't know him and to this community. So big response that this passage is calling from you and me this morning is this, to be a church member who values and honors the whole church body. To be a church member who values and honors the whole church body. First thing we see from 1 Corinthians 12, in membership, I firstly become part of the church. In chapter 12, as you've maybe already picked up, Paul, the apostle Paul is combating division in the church. One division, one source of division was over spiritual gifts. They were fighting over whose gift was better, which gift was more spiritual, which was more important to the life of the church. And he's already been, uh, in verses 1 to 11, which we, we didn't read, he's already been beginning to combat that. He's basically said, if you say Jesus is Lord, if you submit to Jesus as Lord, you can only say that by the Holy Spirit. That means all who submit to Christ have the Spirit in them. We all have the same Spirit. He's leveling the playing field. He's been teaching, too, that everyone has been given gifts by that Spirit for the common good. That means that all the gifts that everyone has are necessary. There's no gifts which are better than others. All gifts come from and then are empowered by that Spirit. And the Spirit, in, in verses 1 to 11, the Spirit purposely gives a diversity of gifts. Why would we elevate one over the other if the Spirit deliberately allocates different gifts? The Spirit decides who gets what. Therefore, we have no reason to be prideful with our own gifts because they were given to us, nor have we any reason to look down on others' gifts because they have been given to them. So he's kind of clarified, it, if you want to think of it, the, the theology of spiritual gifts, 
now he presses into the pastoral consequences and reality of spiritual gifts within the life of the church in order to make sure that the gifts don't create division, but that the church is united. And he does that by using that really helpful illustration of the human body. If you look down at verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And by the way, um, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, the church didn't take the concept of membership from the local gym and apply it to the church, okay? They, we got it from the Bible. It literally uses the word members, okay? 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. It's, not, it's a concept which comes directly out of the Bible. So verse 12, he, he's teaching here that diversity and unity are not opposed to one another. In fact, both are critical for the life of the church. There must be a diversity of gifts. There must be a diversity of people, but there also must be a unity there. Just as the human body is one body with lots of different parts, so the church is one body with lots of kinds of different people and gifts. And at the end of verse 12, you see that he takes the illustration of the human body and says, so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. So it is with, that's really shorthand for so it is with Christ's body, the church which he says more explicitly in verse 27. So it is with Christ's body, the church. Again, he's making this connection, which we saw last week, between Christ and his church. To be joined to Jesus is to be joined to the church. The two are intimately connected. The church is not literally Christ's body, of course, but it profoundly expresses and embodies it in this world. Why does he describe the, the church as Christ? So it is with Christ. Why didn't he just say, so it is with the church? Why did he say, so it is with Christ? Well, to identify the basis of our unity. Our unity is in Christ. Our unity comes from our common union with Jesus. Only in Jesus, it's only in him that we can have the kind of unity and diversity that this passage proclaims on which we experience in the church. Nothing else could create that kind of unity and diversity. He also speaks of it in that way to highlight the connection between Christ and the church, which communicates that if we want to get close to Jesus, then we must get close to the church. If we want to get close to Jesus, we must get close to the church because it is there in the church body, the people of God, through Jesus' own appointed means of preaching, of prayer, of fellowship, baptism, communion, loving, serving, discipling, exhorting, it's there that Jesus is most clearly encountered and embodied in this world. It's where his body, to use that image again, is most clearly on display. That the church is Christ's body also means that union with Christ personally is expressed corporately through belonging to a local church. We've already thought about that. Consider who he's writing to here about these things as he teaches on what membership looks like on spiritual gift. He only has in mind a physical gathering of people. Personal membership, union with Christ, is always expressed corporately in a physical group of believers. He has no one else in mind here. So yes, we become joined to the universal church as Christians, the church of all ages, of all times, the one that Jesus is coming back and is gathering. 
back foreigners gathering, but that is only expressed physically in local gatherings of believers. There's no category in the Bible for someone who calls themselves a Christian and who is not in active membership of the local church. Paul doesn't have a category for that, and neither should we. And this connection, this intimate connection between Christ and the church also communicates that when we use our gifts, when we serve one another, we do it in light of how Jesus gave his body up for us. How he served us, how he came to serve and not be served. That is the one we're joined to. That's the nature of the church. It's a body of people who serve. We serve from his service of us. We get to serve one another knowing we are ultimately doing it not for ourselves and not even for one another ultimately, although we do do it for one another. We're doing it for him. Only with that perspective will we be sustained joyfully in that service. How are we joined to this body? Verse 13, if you look down. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So how are we joined? What it's talking about here in verse 13 is conversion. It's salvation. It's the point where a sinner, where you and I, turn from our sin in repentance and turn to Jesus in faith. And that has been done to us and for us. We respond, but it's a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit through the good news proclaimed. So to be baptized in the Spirit, to drink of the Spirit here in verse 13 is talking about the Spirit's work of regeneration in our hearts. The Spirit's work of cleansing us, of renewing us, of, of giving us a new heart of flesh and getting rid of the old heart of stone. Of The Spirit's work of binding us to Jesus and then permanently dwelling within us. That's what verse 13 is talking about. That's how you're joined to the church. That's true of you. Rejoice in that. That's what the Spirit has done in your life. If it's not true of you, then come to Him today and He can do that work in your life. That's how you're joined. What are you joined to? We are joined to Jesus and his church. And again, like last week in Romans 6, we see the baptism, language of baptism uh, used again. He uses it here again because baptism signifies or pictures that work of the Spirit, that work of regeneration, that work of being brought from death to life. We are baptized into, we are regenerated into Jesus and his church. And it's because of this verse, uh, on this biblical basis, that the church historically, and as is our practice here, see baptism as a prerequisite to church membership. And also why we treat church membership and baptism as one act. We are baptized into something. You're not baptized into thin air. You're not baptized into isolation. You're baptized into Jesus and into his church. Who's it for? Verse 13. Here's where the unity, Paul's desire to unite them, comes in again. Conversion, salvation, regeneration does not discriminate. Anyone, all types of people, all ethnicities, all social statuses, all people of all classes, all people can be saved and united to this body. The Spirit, the grace of God does that without erasing the diversity, but He brings all types of people into His body. 
The Spirit is indiscriminate in who he saves and unites to Jesus and his church. So if the same Spirit joined us to the church, the same Spirit indwells us, means there's no room for pride or partiality. The Spirit is the one who gives us our gifts. We have no reason to be prideful for our gifts. And because they've been given to us, they've been given to be used. One thing that often comes up in conversation, or maybe you've thought this in the past, or maybe your friends or other people think this, membership seems very exclusive. It seems very exclusive, or it's talked about as being very exclusive. Actually, if you read this chapter, if you consider what Paul's just said here, membership of Christ and of his church should be, is the most inclusive group of people in the world. For nothing other than the gospel can unite a diversity of people in the intimacy and beauty of this kind of community. The gospel offer is free to all. It does not discriminate. For any who would come in repentance and faith. And that's true of this church. This church does not discriminate on her membership. All those who profess faith in Christ and are baptized upon that profession are welcome to join this church. And so we should treat one another that way. And we should view those who walk through the doors in that way. So in membership, we become part of the church. It's where the many become one. And secondly, we belong valuably to the church. It's where the one values the many. That's the second thing we see, verses 14 to 20. In these verses, Paul emphasizes the unity of the church amidst its diversity. So he gets to the diversity here. Several key points. Each part of the body uniquely and necessarily contributes to the whole body. Each part uniquely and necessarily contributes to the whole church body. That means that no body part, no person here, no member should think of themselves as unnecessary or inferior. And that means that we should not think of one another as unnecessary or inferior. Every part, every member uniquely, unnecessarily contributes to the body of the church. Again, he brings up the body illustration. Everybody needs ears. Everybody needs eyes. Everybody needs hands. Everybody needs feet and tongues. They all perform unique and necessary functions. Without them, the body can't function as it's designed to. Even the most obscure or strange or hidden parts Okay, I'm in my 30s now. I, I now know the day, what it's like to walk into the barbers and not just get your hair cut, but for them to suggest that your eyebrows get trimmed and your nose hairs get trimmed and maybe even your ear hairs. Okay, it's a, it's a bit of a landmark, okay? Uh, first suggested in a Turkish barber, you know how they love to do that. But even those things, okay, those things are essential. If you got rid of your eyebrows and you got rid of all your nostril hair, and I don't know if everyone has ear hair, but <laughs> if you got rid of those things... Those things are there to keep dirt and debris and sweat out of your eyes and your nose and your ears. Those things, even though they seem so insignificant and even undesirable sometimes to us, they are necessary. Anytime I've been to the Turkish and my nose gets whacked, I'm, I'm sneezing the rest of the day, right? <laughs> Every part of the body is needed. Every part is necessary, even the seemingly insignificant. Why should we think of ourselves this way, of each other this way. Okay, the, the illustration is there to help us grasp that, but the illustrations of the body is not why we believe that. Verse 18, look at verse 18, what a verse. 
But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. God in his wisdom and sovereignty arranges and assigns each person and each gift as he chooses. So if you're a member, think of yourself as a member who has been purposefully gifted and deliberately placed by God amongst this church body. Think of other members as those who have been purposely gifted and deliberately placed alongside you. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. That God does this, ultimately it's of Him. That means that both our gifts are not our own. Therefore, we, don't need, we shouldn't be prideful. Our gifts are by grace. We should be thankful. It means everyone's gifts are necessary. We should value them. It means that where you are right now, it's not accidental. Keep serving. Keep serving as a valued member of the church. It means that if God has given you gifts and He's placed you here, and you're not using them, and you're not coming into membership, stop being selfish with them. Let me say that graciously, but pointedly. God has given you gifts. He calls us to be active members of His church. If you're not using them, you're being selfish with them. We belong to Him ultimately, but we belong to one another. We are interdependent on one another. We need to use them for Jesus and for the sake of one another. And here is a verse which is meant to fuel your contentment as well. The gifts you have, the place He's put you, is purposeful. It's deliberate. They may change over a lifetime, but they're from God. Don't be discontent with them. They're necessary. They're valuable. Use them recognizing how uniquely important they are. And here too, maybe, is a verse for the church to cling to. It's a promise for us to cling to that God is placing us and arranging us and bringing members together in His timing and in His wisdom with the gifts that He feels we need in order to serve Him and serve one another. He's the one who's arranging this body, not us. Let's prayerfully depend on Him and ask of Him to give us what we need. Maybe one question you're thinking of, okay, uh, which isn't the main purpose of this sermon, but let me just touch on it briefly, is which body part am I? Am I an ear? Am I an eye? Am I a nose hair? There are many things we're all called to. Let me just say that first. There are many things the New Testament calls all of us to, all of the one another's. Okay, if you don't spend time trying to find, don't get caught up trying to find your specific gift, there's lots of things to be getting on with, okay? There's all the one another's. There's all the things like welcome and hospitality and contributing to one another's needs. And those aren't just Sunday things, by the way. Let me also just say, most service is not scheduled on a rota or public it's gathering, it's loving, it's caring, it's serving, it's exhorting, it's counseling, it's intergenerational discipleship. All these things aren't rooted or scheduled. And most of them, a lot of them happen outside of Sunday. But you're still asking the question, here's maybe somewhere to start. Get serving. Wherever there's a need, even a very basic practical need, get serving. And when it comes to specific gifts, humbly submit yourself to the affirmation of the church with respect to those gifts. In membership, I become part of the church. Secondly, I belong valuably to the church. And then thirdly, I bestow honor and care to everyone in the church. Verses 21 to 25. So in these verses, we continue to see how indispensable and interdependent each member is. Verse 21 to 22. 
every member of the church is indispensable. Again, this is a pride killer. It's meant to produce humility and destroy any reason for division. We must not ever think of ourselves or of someone else in this church. They are not needed. And again, in verses 22 to 24, we see the illustration pressed further with regards to our indispensability and how every member is necessary. Paul highlights how with the human body, the parts that we think are weaker, less honorable and unpresentable, and in mind here, in mind here, he probably has sexual organs, the bits that we consider weaker, less honorable and unpresentable, we treat those with greater honor and modesty. Okay, if you have a beautiful head of hair, it's visibly on display. People can see it. It doesn't need to be honored. It's obvious. It's a beautiful head of hair. Its beauty is there for all to see. It's the hidden parts, which are just as necessary, that are therefore require more honor because no one sees them, but they're equally as necessary. Paul here, as he's teaching these things, probably has in mind the, the gift of tongues or maybe a prophecy, how the church in Corinth were elevating those more outward gifts, more obvious, more public gifts at the expense of recognizing and honoring the more hidden gifts. Hidden gifts like commitment to prayer and, and serving and, and all those things which aren't as public or as obvious. And in His kindness and grace, God Himself, verse 24, if you look down, God Himself ensures that every part, particularly those who lack it, are honored. And one of the ways He does that is by putting this, verse, this section of Scripture in our Bible. Why must we think of ourselves this way? Why does God make sure that every part is honored accordingly? Well, look down at verse 25. So that there may be no division. This was the heart of the issue. We are to view and think of ourselves and of others in this way, so that there may be no division, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Do you see what verse 25 says happens when the church is divided? It's not just that there's conflict or there's arguments or there's gossiping behind backs or that even people leave. When the church is divided, verse 25 tells us we stop caring for one another. That's what we lose. When we're divided, we stop loving and honoring and caring for one another. The church is meant to be a place of humble concern and care for one another so let's not allow pridefulness or division to get in the way of that. Let's think of ourselves soberly as Romans 12 calls us to. We're not better than anyone else. We're not more necessary than anyone else. All members are needed. What does that care look like? Verse 26 tells us. If one mem member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The body is so united in, in one body that when one part suffers, all suffers. When one part is honored, all are honored. It means in suffering and sorrow, we weep with one another and we serve one another. It means in honoring and rejoicing, we, we rejoice with one another. The weeping part seems easier, right? It's the rejoicing part when, when someone's blessed or honored in a way maybe that we would desire to be. That's the hard part. But that's only possible when we view ourselves as one family. 
as one body. When we view a victory or a blessing for one part of the body as a victory and a blessing for all of the body, that only comes when we remember our common union in Christ. Those things only happen when we remember that someone else's spiritual gift has been given as a service to me. There's lots of things people in this church do better than me. That doesn't make me better or jealous or competitive towards them. I thank God that he has purposely placed them amongst me, around me. And it thrills me when I hear people in our church, for instance, get a job after they've faithfully slogged away at job applications. And it burdens me when I hear of members' physical and spiritual struggles. That's how a body functions. So let's honor and care for everyone in the church. So in light of all of that, consider today how you might honor someone else in this church. Or maybe throughout the week or in the next month. Consider how you might move towards someone who's hurting. Consider how you might rejoice alongside someone who's celebrating something. If you're not an active member of a local church, you are, in light of 1 Corinthians 12, starving yourself of the care and honor that God has designed you to have. You're starving yourself, you're starving your family of that. And if you are an active member of a local church, of this church particularly, then remember what we're called to do, what, what we're to do for one another, how we're to view one another. Look around this room at the people that God has placed alongside you and give thanks for them and rejoice that they're there. You need the church and the church needs you. In some ways that's 1 Corinthians 12. You need the church and the church needs you. So 1 Corinthians 12 would really press upon us that belonging to Jesus involves becoming a member of a local church, being a member of a local church, belonging valuably as a member, and then experiencing the mutual love, honor, and care. 1 Corinthians 12, like last week, there's a number of important things that will be helpful for us in this series to just draw in from the rest of the Bible with regards to membership. So these are going to be fairly short and snappy, okay? Hang in there. I must value and pursue active membership in a local church because the whole Bible compels me, not just 1 Corinthians 12, the whole Bible compels me. Throughout the whole Bible, the people of God are clearly marked off, counted, and defined from the rest of the world around them, not to distance themselves from the world and isolate themselves, but in order to be distinct for the world, in order to be a light for the nations, in order to be obviously the people of God. And we see even throughout the Bible from Genesis 5, Exodus 30, Numbers 1, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Timothy 5, Revelation 21, those who are God's people are clearly numbered and defined. Yes, there's even lists and books, okay? Again, we didn't make this up. We didn't take the gym membership idea and apply it to the church. Membership is much more than being on a list, by the way. But we see this pattern in the Bible of God's people being clearly identified and defined. Again, that's one of the reasons we have a formal membership process in this church. So that we know who our members are and because of the pattern that the Bible teaches us. Secondly, to to declare and confirm my faith. It's one of the other reasons why you should pursue membership in a local physical church. Church membership along with baptism 
is a critical way in which Christians publicly declare and display their faith to the world. And it's also the means by which they have their faith confirmed. Okay, we thought last week about the authority given to the local church. Let me just add, a faithful local church. We're going to be exploring that topic in Titus in a few weeks. The authority has been given to the local church to affirm someone's profession of faith and administer baptism. That's given through what's known as the keys of the kingdom, Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. So how do you know if you're a Christian? How do you know that you're believing the faith that's once for all been delivered to the saints through the apostles and the authority of which has been handed down through the ages to the local church under the leadership of our elders? Become a member, get baptized, go to a local church and have those things confirmed. Have them confirmed both by your initial becoming a member and your ongoing membership to declare and confirm my faith and then to have a context for obeying Jesus' commands. How do you live out the one another's if there's no another to do it with? Okay, in some ways it's kind of simple. How do you do the one another's without having an another to do it with? Membership gives us a specific context to obey Jesus' commands. We need other people to do that, to love, pray, care, exhort, edify, and bear the burdens of one another. So membership provides us with that people. It provides us also with a focus and a prioritization to that. You and I cannot do those things for every Christian we've ever known or ever come across. It's not possible, nor has God designed it to be that way. It means we would be doing lots of things very thinly. He's designed us to be in specific churches with a primary focus on a certain group of people so that those things are done in a very thick way. One of the ways we practically express these commitments to one another is through our membership covenant, which I just read earlier on during the announcements. To have a context for obeying Jesus' commands and then to be cared for. This is a really key thing. We've already seen it in 1 Corinthians 12. Membership ensures that you, that your family are, will be cared for. And it's how you will commit to do that for others. Membership places you under the care of elders who are, in the words of 1 Peter 5, to shepherd the flock of God, to feed you, to care for you, to lead you, to guide you. It's not just elders who do that, they lead in that, but it's everyone who does that. So placing yourself in membership provides you with a whole lot of people who are going to care for you. The flip side of that is if you don't commit to a local church faithfully and consistently, week by week, you're starving yourself and you're robbing others of the care that we all need. You're starving yourself, but you're also robbing those within the church that God has placed you around or in from the care that they need from you. Speaking as an elder too, membership clarifies for me, it clarifies for us who we are to keep watch over and who we will be held accountable for. Hebrews 13, 17, which is on the screen, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Me and Derek, along with all our elders, will stand before the Lord and give an account for the souls he's placed under our care. Membership helps us know who those people are. Membership clarifies who we are to spend our energy and time, who we are to spend our energy and time watching over. 
So if you aren't a church member, then you're missing out on that. You're missing out on the care that Hebrews 13, 17 affords you. You're also disobeying it. You're also disobeying it because you have not identified yourself with the church and her leaders. Next reason to grow and mature. Membership is essential to maturity. You don't commit an act of week-by-week membership of a local church. You will not grow. We long for that to be true of you, to happen for you. But if you don't commit, you won't grow. Membership is essential to maturity. Otherwise, you're just going to drift. If we pick up the body metaphor again, membership is how we get our lifeblood. We don't commit a membership actively to a church, or we are in membership, but we're a passive member. We drift in and out at our own leisure and with our own preferences. We are like an amputated limb that will eventually shrivel and start to decay. It doesn't have to be that way. Ephesians 4.16 paints this beautiful picture of how when the members come together and they're all functioning properly and actively and lovingly, the whole body builds itself up in love and the members grow and mature. That's what you can be a part of. That's what can happen here. That's what we can do in one another's lives and for one another. To grow and mature and then to be protected. Membership of a local church places you under the watchful care of elders, particularly as well as other members when it comes to false teaching. Newsflash, there are lots of things out there which are not true. There are lots of things out there which would take you away from the the true faith, from what the Bible teaches. If you're not part of a local church, you're in, in a much more precarious place when it comes to being affected by and believing those things. We see the church's role in this in places like 1 Timothy and Titus. Membership goes a long way. Membership, again, of a faithful church, let me add that clarification, of a faithful Bible-teaching church guards you from those things. One of the reasons we clarify what we believe in a basis of faith and through our doctrinal distinctives is to make sure that there's clarity on what we will teach and what we believe as Christians. That's a protective thing. Enter membership to be held accountable is the next thing. Membership guards you from wandering in your walk with God. It's how we humbly express our desire to other Christians and do that in a concrete way. Our desire to say, hey, if I start to stop, if I start living in a way that contradicts what I say I believe, please pull me back. Please pull me back. Please speak graciously and lovingly to me and say, hey, Jesus doesn't call us to live like this. Come back. It's how we invite other Christians to speak truth into our lives, sometimes hard truths, but loving truths. And membership becomes particularly important when it comes to the practice of church discipline. Church discipline and membership really go together. Church discipline is implicit in membership. Discipline is where the church, or maybe a more helpful way to think of it, is redemptive or restorative love is where the church and her elders lovingly try to correct and restore someone to the faith when they've wandered off, but yet that person persists unrepentantly in sin. Church discipline is the deeply grievous but necessary process of removing the name brother from that person publicly with the the desire that that would wake wake them up and cause them to come back to their senses and repent. 1 Corinthians 5 is a place where we explicitly see this taught. 
where those inside the church are called to judge those inside the church. Yes, we remove the plank out of our own eye first, but we're still to judge one another as Christians. We're to judge those inside the church, those who call themselves Christians with respect to their conduct. Here's the thing that 1 Corinthians 5 presents us with. How do we know who's in and who's out? It literally uses the words insiders and outsiders. How do we know who we are to hold accountable? Membership clarifies that. Nearly there. Next thing. Membership serves to evangelize my my community. If I want to evangelize my community, if I have an honest, deep heart and compassion for those in our town and in our lives who don't know Jesus, we must pursue active, meaningful membership in a local church. It is one of, if not the most basic, important aspect to our witness in this town. Without the local church, without active members in that church, there is no city on a hill. There is no light in the darkness. There is no corporate display of Christ's love. Our active contribution to the church community serves to provide what is our most compelling witness of the gospel, both in in what we believe and how we live the gospel out in one another's lives. Yes, we're to go out and tell people about Jesus. Yes, we're to invite them into this community. But if there's not a meaningful community here to invite them into, then our witness is deeply diminished. If the church is the body of Christ, then the gathered church and our membership of it is how we most fundamentally embody Jesus in the world. And to our community, membership communicates this. In a culture of individualism, membership says, I am not my own, but belong to Jesus and to other people. In a culture of anti-authority, membership displays through submission to a local church that Jesus is worthy of my submission and that submission to him is life-giving. In a culture of loneliness and isolation, membership provides and displays an everyday and eternal community. In a culture lacking hope and moral guidance, church membership says we have hope and that living according to God's ways are beautiful and good. Come and see what it looks like. Let me tell you what I experience in this community. Maybe one more thing to add is that implicit in membership in all of this is gathering together. Membership necessitates gathering physically and often. If you think about it, the body doesn't function if all the parts never come together. In particular, the Lord has set aside a day for himself, the Lord's day, one day in seven, whereby the members of the body gather to be the body. It's where we worship, it's where we pray, it's where we love and sing and teach and encourage and do all those things for one another. It's where we care for one another and honor one another and exercise our gifts primarily. We gather too throughout the week in, in small groups and in prayer gatherings and in men and women's ministry to, to, to embody the, the Bible's teaching that discipleship is also an everyday thing. So if you're a member, avail yourself of these opportunities for growth and grace. Commit to them. It not only serves you, but it also serves those who've committed with you. We must think of one another when we consider gathering at these things. It's not just a personal decision. The personal decision to gather or not gather is a corporate decision. 
It serves you and the people you've committed to, and it ultimately honors the Lord because He's the one who calls us to it. It involves, particularly for Sundays, saying no to things which clash with it. It involves saying no to things which clash with Sunday and making conscious calendar decisions that ensure that we do not neglect these things. Because when we give ourselves to these things as members, when we gather, when we give ourselves to all of these things, we will grow. We will see people come to know Jesus. We will be cared for. We will be honored. And that's how the church can be a powerful witness in this time. So loved ones, fellow church members, be a church member who values and honors the whole church body based on the reality that you belong to Jesus. It's through his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension that we have graciously been provided the opportunity to, be, to not only be saved and united to him, but to be brought into this eternal community, the church, to become part of his eternal body and bride. So if you're not a Christian, let me encourage you, come to Jesus today. This is the salvation he offers. This is the community, eternal community he offers. I, I, others, would love to speak to you about that. If you are a Christian, but you're not a member, then pursue that membership. I recognize some people here might be figuring that out and pursuing that. That's great. We want to help you do that. If you're a Christian, but you're not a member of this church or of another church, please, let me exhort you to pursue membership, to commit yourselves fully to others and to ensure your spiritual growth and care. And if you are a mem member of this church or of another church, renew yourself with respect to the joys and the commitments and the privilege that membership of a church affords you, that membership of Jesus gives to you. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the work of the Spirit in our lives which has enabled us to respond to the good news of Jesus in repentance and faith. And thank you for its work of joining us to Jesus and of not joining us and then leaving us to do it on our own, but joining us to your eternal community, the church. Father, help us to rejoice in our membership of you and of our church. Help us to take great joy in that. Help us to commit our lives to it. Help us to value one another and honor one another in the way that you call us to Help us to be a church, a, a members who are united and not divided. Father, this is a beautiful thing to belong to, but it's also costly at times. Give us the strength and the energy we need to fulfill these commands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.